Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. We've got a great new show for you today. It's Thursday. We're going to make it to the long holiday weekend, everybody. We're going to do it. We can do it. We're going to start off talking about Meta's new Facebook's group overhaul that looks a lot like another product. I know you're amazed and surprised to hear it. Looks just like I, Discord. I am shocked that Zuckerberg <laughs> is copying another founder's Shock. innovations for the 787th time. Uh, there's a lot of other uh, quick hits today. Sequoia is raising a, a $2 billion uh, in new funds uh, in venture and growth. And uh, while we were talking about this, there was a breaking news story. Uh, SBF is reportedly acquiring BlockFi for $25 million. They were previously valued at almost $5 billion. Mm -hmm. And speaking of doubling down, Michael Saylor is doubling down on MicroStrategy's Bitcoin holdings. We're just going to talk about who's going to come out a winner here. And we live in the future. We love this segment. Uh, MLB is looking to automate home plate empires by 2024. Is this a good idea? Does it ruin the sport? Does it make it better or fairer or faster? That's what we're going to break down in the We Live in the Future segment. And then we're going to break down Substack's business model. That company is making some layoffs. Jason's going to do a little back of the envelope math that make it look like it might not be the most viable business. It's a terrible business. I'll explain why. It's going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Zapier. Zapier is the easiest way to automate your work. See for yourself why teams at Airtable, Dropbox, HubSpot, Zendesk, and thousands of other companies use Zapier every day to automate their businesses. Try Zapier for free today at zapier.com twist. User testing. With user testing, you'll understand it from your customer's perspective by seeing how they interact with your products, apps, or messaging. Get real-time feedback real fast. Put yourself in your customer's shoes. Visit usertesting.com slash twist for a free trial. User testing. Real human insight. And Grammarly. Grammarly is an all-in-one writing tool that helps you churn out clear and concise communication fast. Go to Grammarly.com slash twist to sign up for a free account and get 20% off when you sign up for premium. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash twist. All right, stop us if you have heard this one before. Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg have looked around the universe of tech products and thought, that one looks good, I'll take it. It's like a menu. <laughs> yeah, this is not the first time, nor will it be the last. Facebook Groups is testing a left-aligned sidebar and channels similar to Discord. Groups mm. will be listed with rounded square icons, where I've seen that before. Group channels can be text chats, audio rooms, or feeds. These features look like it'll be easier for groups, uh, which is pretty hard to find. I mean, I, we started a couple yeah. groups on Facebook, and then we just gave up on it because it just felt like it wasn't worth it. Like anything in the Facebook ecosystem for a business owner. The only thing that really works there is giving them money for ads. Every other feature they use, they wind up deprecating, you know, or they don't let people see it. So then you wind up investing in it, Molly, only to have them throttle who sees it. And then you have to pay to get exposure to the people. You just spent all this time building a community. That's why I would, I tell everybody do not invest in Facebook communities, or all this stuff. Or if you do invest in your Instagram account or your Facebook page, you know, you should be the number one goal is should be to get the email addresses of all of those people, even if you have to one on one encourage them to sign up somewhere else to get their yeah. email addresses, because Facebook will screw you as they've screwed every other partner they've ever had. 
100%. And actually, uh, Bill Gurley had some thoughts to that effect, which we'll talk about in a minute. We should note that, you know, Facebook has also gotten in trouble for promoting groups because they were so hard to find. Then mm-hmm. Facebook was trying to algorithmically promote groups and that was leading to them, you know, you'd spend 10 minutes on Facebook and all of a sudden see one that was like, hey, you want to march on the Capitol? Yeah. Um, and so that was a problem for them. So in some ways, this seems like a natural uh, evolution and maybe some smart product decisions around how to make groups more usable. It also, you know, no one can ignore the fact that it looks almost exactly like Discord, a product that has sort of come out of nowhere with respect, you know, in Facebook's mind and become a gathering place for this next generation, especially young people mm. that Facebook is hoping will someday come back. And then Meta has also been shifting to make Facebook look more like TikTok. So your feed recommends more content from accounts that you may not even follow. Um, and then, of course, in the past, we should just remind everybody that Facebook has directly copied Snapchat with both Instagram stories and Facebook stories the uh, with ephemeral messages and lenses. They copied Slack with Facebook Workspace and Fortnite with Facebook Horizon. Yeah, I mean, and this is just the start. I mean, they, they also um, copied Path.com with their Path was the first one to have the emoji reaction. So if you hit a heart, it would give you like five choices. You could be sad if it was a death notice or you could be joyful or whatever. So, you know, they, they copy every little thing, copied Craigslist with the marketplace product, right, et cetera. And, um, you know, I, I, my advice to founders, because this is this week in startups is do not do not ever um, do not ever meet with Facebook. If you're a founder of a company, I, I gave this message to Y Combinator startups a long time ago, because Facebook had set up some kind of deal with YC to meet with companies ahead of time. And I was like, they will just steal everything you do. You're crazy. And people were like, Oh, you're hating Jason. And uh, the truth is, if you meet with a company like Facebook, they will steal every idea you have. They're already studying you to steal your ideas. They have had no original ideas in the history of the company. Facebook itself was a copy of Friendster. Um, and he actually also stole from the Winklevi who hired him. So if you know the whole history of the company, um, you know, you understand that they're really good. That is their superpower is yeah. making somebody else's product better. So if you make a great product and then you just copy it, my lord, you can just keep building on top of it. And, uh, you know, you don't have to make any of the decisions. And they're just very good at it. And they will do it three or four times. Remember, with Snapchat, they had poke first, mm-hmm. and then they had a second swing at the bat, then they did an ephemeral messaging, as I, as I, as I wrote here in the notes, where the messages disappeared. So they don't have any problem with it. And Facebook, at some point, there was a report from Facebook that Zuckerberg just said, listen, if I, I don't, I, I don't want your ideas to, to the Instagram team, just copy Snapchat uh and yeah and admitted to congress like in congressional testimony at one point mark zuckerberg was like yeah no we definitely do that and i found an article from 2013 that was like here's a quick list of apps and services facebook you know this is just incontrovertible this is what the company does it's their dna Hmm. it's their dna um and you know if you work there it kind of sucks but here is what i guess this week in startups looks like if i will pull it up on the screen here for those of you watching youtube.com slash this weekend if you want to watch the show Hit the subscribe button, hit the bell, and you'll get notifications when we go live on the air. And um, so this is what the Discord channel looks like. That's what Discord looks like, Mm -hmm. and that's in dark mode. So uh, and you got if you you're welcome and you're whatever and your different groups and the whatnot. And then here's what pull up uh, the Facebook version now. Yes, and twenty four seven gamers. And it's just the same. And it's just just the same. same. Yeah, you can see there are those curved little buttons there. So, you know, in in their defense, if a metaphor has been established, or a new content format has been established, it's kind of hard to work against it. But in totality, if you look at their behavior, um, 
and this is what friend of the pod uh bill Gurley has been talking about um it really is the frequency of this so here's what bill Gurley said uh when i see this this blatant behavior over and over it makes me wonder if one of the core tests of a monopoly is how much blatant copying and tying together uh integrating a company mm -hmm. does this was and is again microsoft playbook also appears to be facebook core playbook also a second test he continues might be in quotes how do they behave in partnership in partner meetings over the years i have found monopolist browbeat partners and suggest deal terms that you would never consider in a peer-to-peer -peer deal outlandish deal terms that would hollow out your company if you took them mm -hmm. molly your reaction i uh have been doing interviews for years in which people will suggest to me off the record how horrible it is to do business with facebook and how it, it particularly as a sales partner and an advertiser they just, and actually Yahoo used to do this back in the day too, just sort of be so arrogant. Like we have a fire hose of traffic and nothing like nothing is ever going to change. And we're always going to do this. What I did find interesting about these Bill Gurley tweets is that, and, and you tell me here, it seemed to me to be slightly unlike a VC mm. to say that I, it, because like Peter okay. Thiel, for example, on the other you know end of the spectrum in zero to one is like great, unapologetically great and explicitly pro monopoly. As like yeah. the natural evolution of a business. Yeah. So here is um, what the, the difference. One, Peter Thiel is a unique <laughs> character in all sure. the world. Yeah. Who right. You got one literally here. The wants most. to be a contrarian about everything. And he, he, he loves the idea of a monopoly or backing founders who go for the 80, 90% position in terms of market share. Yeah. So that is kind of like his intention. Now, if you think long term, for the ecosystem and for the country and for capitalism and democracy, right? If you just broaden out from the returns for my fund, mm -hmm. Peter's talking about for the returns of my fund and for you as a founder, you should aspire to get to that 90% monopolistic position where you don't have competitors. Okay, I understand that as a goal for somebody. But if you were to look out at the ecosystem, if Microsoft hadn't been throttled in the 90s, um, uh, what would things look like today they would have crushed google they would have crushed yeah. you know just like they had crushed netscape and that was what it, what it was what it was over they would have just given every single windows user free search you know free gmail etc and every time something new came out they would just use their platform to integrate it and that's what bill Gurley's referring to here but he's also referring to maybe a new test which is how often do you copy things and then integrate them into your platform you may have noticed now when you post a story to Instagram, it automatically puts it on Facebook. Your Facebook it login tries. works with Instagram. Every time I'm tries. like, no, you -er. Yeah. So they have really integrated these platforms together. That gives you a crazy monopolistic uh, ability. Advantage, yeah. So when if we see the Facebook marketplace also be on Instagram or, you know, in this kind of integration across platforms, that's where you really start to see things get um, pretty anti-competitive. So if you were a VC in the industry, do you want to have just two buyers left in the industry, Microsoft totally. and Facebook or Google and Facebook, whoever's left standing? Or would you like to see, you know, many different mid-sized companies? So instead of, you know, $3 trillion companies, how about 10 companies worth 400 billion? Yeah. And then they fight it out, right? If Yahoo still existed as a contemporary to Google, you know, if BlackBerry still existed as an option or Nokia to Android, uh, if Palm still existed, if we had a little more 
uh, diversity in the ecosystem of choices for partnership, that would be better for consumers, ultimately, probably, and it would be better for venture capitalists, certainly, because you have more buyers, exactly. for people to partner with, and they would behave better. So the behavior is getting really bad. Exactly. And your companies aren't going to get crushed or put out of business, right? I mean, it really is like, it's good long term thinking on Gurley's part to say, listen, you have to have a vibrant innovation ecosystem. Yes. It, one actually really interesting example of this is is cloud services too. I mean, it's a, effectively a duopoly with Google a distant third and the pricing reflects that. And so, you know, I think v, I have heard VC say that they're finding that there's only like a couple places to even refer startups to and then those deals are getting increasingly onerous. And so this idea that you could just easily build a startup or a SaaS platform because cloud services exist and are so freely available might start to change as well. There are maybe two or three apps that my teams can't live without. And one of those apps is Zapier, which makes you so much happier. Zapier is a simple and no code way to connect your apps together to do all kinds of creative and interesting things that will save you time and make your job more fun and more productive. It gives anyone the power to automate your business. And they have over 5,000 apps connected now. It just shows you what you can do year after year if you say really focused. And Zapier has been super focused on connecting things like Google Sheets, Salesforce, Slack, Webflow, Pipedrive, Shopify, Zoom, and so many more. When someone registers for our Angel University workshop, we use Zapier to onboard them into our syndicate. This is something we used to do manually. Zapier is all about increasing your efficiency, saving you time, and time is money. In fact, the average Zapier user saves over $10,000 in recovered time every year. Over 1.8 million people and businesses are now using Zapier. See why teams at Airtable, Dropbox, HubSpot, Zendesk, and Inside, and Launch, and thousands of other companies are using Zapier all day, every day. Try Zapier for free today at zapier.com slash twist. I'll spell it for you if you're new. Z-A-P-I-E-R.com slash twist, T-W-I-S-T. I mean, it is basically those three, AWS, Microsoft, Azure, and Google have 65% of global spend on cloud computing. I think in startups, you might even see it be even more consolidated. Um, Google is a distant third. Um, mm -hmm. Right now, Amazon, 33% market share, 22% for Microsoft right behind them. This is Q1 2022. Um, from Synergy Research Group, Google 10%, the next 10 companies together 21%. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a little more diversified, but it's still kind of trending towards Amazon winning it all. Microsoft mm -hmm. has made a big push, I will say it's pretty impressive that Oh, yeah, I mean, they, they came out of nowhere and won that big Jedi contract. Yeah, they're not really. messing around in the slightest in cloud, but even yeah. even a duopoly, ultimately, you know, I would just caution startups like at some point, it feels like it's trending towards a duopoly is I think the best way to say it, right? Yeah. And what will that it's mean trending. in terms of pricing and frankly, like data privacy? Yeah, I wrote a big column here a couple of a few years back about the idea yeah. of cloud neutrality, which I think is going to become increasingly important. Like, sure, Amazon says it doesn't look at your data, but it said mm -hmm. that about its third party listings, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like uh, if Facebook was in cloud, forget it. They would just look at your source code and copy every business. <laughs> yeah, it's a. Um, it it's it's something where one comp one company's behavior is standing out amongst all the rest yes and that is facebook and yes. so just very important for people who want to go work for a company if you're a young person and you're talented i think working for facebook is just bad karma and a bad experience i wouldn't do it um i would aspire to work at a startup if i was a young or even any talented person why take like the extra 10 percent of the money that facebook would pay you 
to work at a boring company that steals other people's ideas. Better to work at a creative company where maybe you come up with some of your own ideas. Maybe you innovate on your own. And, and I think that would be a much better uh, concept here for everybody. So uh, I don't trust them. I can tell you one story, Molly. Uh, I went to meet with the Facebook team. I won't say who, uh, but very high level people. Leave it at that. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about pages and we had a bunch of content and we were a mic, we were a YouTube partner and they were kind of courting us to put more videos on YouTube. I said, okay, well, what's the revenue split? They said, oh yeah, we don't have a revenue split. Um, but you can, you know, market your other stuff off platform. I'm like, well, every page we have, we can't get people to click off site. We get like less than, you know, um, a tenth of 1% of the people in the group to click off. And you've also throttled. So every time we spent like $20,000 in an experiment, building up this page to 250,000 people. We did all this investment in marketing. And now we only reach 5% of the audience. So we post a new video, we only get to 10%. We only get 10,000 views out of 250,000. On our other sites, uh, on YouTube, we get like 30 or 40%. And they're like, Yeah, well, you can spend money to get more views. I'm like, Yeah, but we don't have ads on here. We can't. This model doesn't work. I was like, I tell you what, will you give us $1,000 for every video we place in here? Uh, we'll place, uh, you know, uh, 100 videos a month, you give us $100,000, $1.2 million a year, and we'll let you host those videos for uh, five years, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, if any advertising comes, we'll do the same split as YouTube, you know, down the road. And they're like, yeah, we don't do that. And they've never shared money with their users. They're just starting to, I keep getting upsold on post a, what's their, what's their stories competitor? Or the TikTok stories. competitor on oh. Instagram? What's uh, it? TikTok reels, competitor? reels, reels. Mm -hmm. I keep getting offered like $100 if I post a reel. So they're literally just trying to pay me per <laughs> piece of content. Mm -hmm. as somebody because I guess I maybe have 20,000 followers on Instagram. I don't really spend time there. Um, I, only I mean, post that's what yeah. Facebook does, right? Like the way the reason that you can copy the reason that actually people keep going to work for Facebook, like I'm yeah. sure that it would be it would this all would be a lot easier if Facebook was a terrible place to work. But evidently, it is not it is a great place to work. People love it. They back yeah. up the money truck. They yeah. really, really take that's care of employees. About. And then they, when they want to copy something, they're trying to grow reels to compete with TikTok. So they're literally paying people because they can, because they to just get print the flywheel going. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, so anyway, we'll keep an eye on that. We'll see where it yes. goes. I, I really don't trust Facebook. I would, if I'm, you know, any company or anybody who has content, I just wouldn't trust Facebook because what they'll eventually do is try to extract something from you, like your money, and they really screw their partners. So you'd be an idiot to partner with them on anything and any and that it really goes for building community i think if you're going to build community you know you can, you can see like building community on twitter kind of works building community on youtube works they're really thinking about you and what your needs are building community on linkedin seems to work really well people have a good experience with groups over there it's never worked for anybody you know they just don't treat content partners well at facebook nope. it's not part of their focus until they start paying you know um significant rates uh to content folks in a broad way, I just wouldn't trust them. Um, Zach Coelius described dealing with Facebook as quote, being coddled and feeling safe by Facebook and then being stabbed in the stomach and bleeding out slowly. That's yeah, anybody who goes to bed with them. It's poetic. Wake up. Yeah, it's poetic. Experience what your customer experiences with user testing, whether you're launching a new product, a prototype, or a marketing campaign, you'll get great video feedback straight from the people who you want to reach most your customers. The user testing human insights platform lets you understand it all from your customer's perspective. And it allows you to target your exact audience, ask any question or request to perform tasks, and most valuably, get a window into their world. 
And unlike focus groups, which can take weeks or months to deliver results, with user testing, you get to see real reactions and hear real opinions really fast. You'll get responses in real time and at the speed your business demands. Get insights into what's working and what's not, so you can adjust your message, refine your user interface, and understand exactly how people are responding to and interacting with your product, service, or brand. The result? You feel what your customer feels, so you can build the best experiences imaginable. So here's your call to action for a free trial. Visit usertesting.com slash twist, usertesting.com slash twist, user testing, real human insight. All right. Um, all right. Let's talk about what else is going on in the VC space, uh, because we have been talking about this downturn and there are far oh. fewer investments quarter over quarter. Uh, but some big news broke from the information last night. If I had a penny, by the way, for every time I said that sentence, I also yes. would be raising a $2 billion fund. Sequoia <laughs> is reportedly raising $2.25 billion, billion dollars across two new sub funds. Sequoia saw the VC slowdown and was like, time to raise. Yeah, keep going. Tell me more. Yeah. All right. Well, so I mean, basically, if you're a legendary fund, this seems like it's news. Because oh my God, we're in a down market. How could they raise it? Now, remember who they're raising from. They're raising from the same LPs that they've always raised from in all likelihood. They don't change yeah. the LP roster all that much. Everybody wants to give somebody like Sequoia money. Therefore, um, it doesn't matter when they raise. Uh, they are immune to the market swings. When they do a fund, people want to invest. The people who are investing are people with giant endowments. So some college with a giant endowment, a retirement with a gi giant endowment, or a nonprofit like Ford Foundation, etc. And as a um, Sequoia founder of a company, Inside.com is, uh, is a Sequoia company, started as Mahalo, and we pivoted. That company, like when I go to their dinners, they would show us like, hey, we distributed money, just so you know where your work effort is going as founders, mm -hmm. to the Ford Foundation. Here's what the Ford Foundation does in the world. Here's, you know, I, I'm, I don't remember all of them, but that's pretty cool. Theoretically, here's Memorial Sloan Kettering. Here's what they're doing. Here's this endowment from this college. Here's what they did with the money. And so you, as you become even more baller in VC, mm -hmm. you can pick who you make money for. You don't have to pick mm -hmm. an authoritarian regime somewhere in the world, like, you know, Jared Kushner, you know, taking money from the Saudis. He's taking money from the Saudis. Uh, some would argue, like, maybe that's not the group you want to make money for. Uh, they have plenty. And why would you want to make money for them? Um, you may want to make money for cancer research. So I, I've always told the folks at like Memorial Sloan Kettering other places like, listen, when you think you need a new fund, you know, having two parents who are cancer survivors right now, I would really love to go to work every day and have you in our fund because mm. we just make it more meaningful for me. Yeah. And uh, I think that's, you know, one of the beautiful things about venture that people maybe don't report on is actually who gets the dollars. And in a lot of cases, people getting the dollars are people who could really put it towards good use. That's pretty cool. I mean, just even the pension funds alone. The other thing I think that's yes. really interesting about what Sequoia is doing, and I would love to talk more about this sub fund idea, because mm -hmm. Sequoia made headlines last year announcing that they were turning the main fund into an evergreen fund. Yes. The Sequoia Capital Fund to hold positions for longer as companies mm -hmm. go public and mature, which is really interesting. They launched that Catalyst program that's yep. sort of like an accelerator called ARC. Yep. Um, and Jess then is running that. Yep. yep. And then uh, and Luciana Lisandru. And then just a few months ago, we covered Sequoia China starting to raise $8 billion across four new funds. And then now there are these new sub funds. Yep. under the evergreen fund it, yes is it 
is this a new thing? The sub fund thing? Is this sort it, of like what you have to do when you start OG to be funds is what I would say. The sub funds are their original funds. Yeah. And then the Sequoia fund is when these companies in these funds become Square or Google or Apple or whoever, WhatsApp, which then becomes Facebook, Uber, DoorDash, all of those shares don't have to be distributed and sold. You just own those shares in a percentage of the Evergreen fund. So all of the exits, instead of returning the money um, and selling the shares, some endowment could say, you know what? Keep running it. Keep running my money for you. Because what happens typically is a venture firm gives the money to their LPs. Those LPs take those returns. They go to a money manager of some type or a committee that then has to manage those investments. Okay, do we keep our Airbnb and Uber and Coinbase? Do we sell it? Do we buy more? What do we do at this point in time when mm-hmm. we get these distributions? They, Sequoia, are going to answer the question for people. Hey, we we got you into Square. We got you into Google. We know the companies. Hey, maybe we'll stay on their boards. So I believe Alfred Lin is still on the board of DoorDash, and I believe uh, Ruloff is still on the board of Square. Usually VCs would get off those boards. Why? I've always thought this was crazy. Like, if you have that kind of influence in the world, why? Oh, so I can recapture my time to invest in the next generation companies. My position was always, those are seats of power and influence and knowledge. Yeah. Stay on them and then yeah. just hire more people to do more investing. So there are people who have different ambitions. I think Sequoia and Ruloff and Alfred have a big ambition here of building this large pro- public market, um, you know, uh, ownership position because they never sell their shares anyway. So right. That's what's happening here. These these funds seem to me to be the original funds is how I would read it. And yeah, you know, they're doing some experiments. I think they're a little arc, you know, give a million dollars to whatever number of companies, 10 companies and do it once or twice a year. Like it's a good experiment for them. And um, then the other thing that's interesting is this split on this new $2.25 billion is, is a $750 million early stage fund in keeping with the trend we've seen over and over, which is these mega funds moving earlier. And then also... One and a half billion dollars for a U.S. growth fund, mm-hmm. which seems to me to be good news because what I keep hearing is that there, and you tell me if this is true, again, what I keep hearing rumblings about or concern about is this barbell effect, that there's a lot of money in early, a lot of money in late, and a valley of death in growth. Yeah. Do you I think mean, that's true? The best way to invest in tech and startups is uh, to secure a position uh, as early as possible, a large position, and maintain it. or to get in at the end when you know you could flip very quickly to a public outcome the latter is now gone so the idea to put a lot of money in at the end and then it ipos and then it flip it surges on the ipo well the public markets aren't buying what venture is selling right now right. they don't want companies that are money losing and they may not want more companies right now they have this indigestion repricing going on so yeah in the short term the late stage kind of spigot is turned off right now it's paused and so why would you put money there which means people will want to do traditional vc hard work find a couple of founders back them get them through an accelerator get them their one to three million dollar seed round get some customers get the flywheel going and then do a proper series a of five to ten million but i guess Um, what i'm saying is what if nobody's there for the series b oh there'll still be people there what it will be is the series b's valuations will come back down to 50 to 100 million so the Bs, when they became $250 million valuations, started to look like really growth rounds and Cs and Ds. I think what you're going to see is million dollars, you're going to see 100, 200K accelerator friends and family. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to see million to $3 million seed rounds. Then you're going to see, you know, four to $10 million series A's and 10 to $25 million series Bs as opposed to $50 million series Bs. So I think everything just compresses a little bit. And then these funds, 
we'll be able to do series B. You know, we, we were able to do series A's with our syndicate for a hot minute because we were putting in 2 million or a million and a half or three. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. could co-lead an A, but then people were like, those are no longer the A's. A's are now 10 million. And I don't think you need 10 million in a down market to raise a series A. So then Not you're a- saying that funds that are currently earmarked as early stage will be able to afford to be effectively yes. growth stage. Not growth, because but they'll go, they'll go one stage later. And then people who are growth could go one stage earlier and maybe they just have more dry powder than they need, thought they needed. So yeah. that's going to be a great outcome. If you raised a $500 million fund right now and you expected to put in, you know, I don't know, 30 companies at, you know, 10 million each, uh, you know, maybe you could get the same ownership percentage for 7 million each, right? But so is, there, uh, is there a drought? Companies. Is there a drought in growth? Is the question I, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think there will be because I think companies will. Yeah, I think. Well, and also people were spending that money to artificially inflate growth and maybe they were not spending it in a judicious fashion. So I think what's going to happen is people are not going to spend like drunken sailors. So maybe they won't be buying stadium rights or, you know, what we $400,000 developer salaries will go back down to 200 or 150 and people will just be more judicious with how they spend money. Um, and maybe not like the crazy signature office space at $90 a square foot. So you're just going to see people, the the amount of money it takes to make money will compress as well. So Mm -hmm. people will be able to do more with less money in a down market, which you're already going to see. I mean, you see it inside of our organizations where I'm working with people on their efficiency and their professional development. I think in a gangbusters market, people are like, I can just throw people at this. Yeah, just add 10 people to the sales team. As opposed to looking at the sales team of, uh, let's say you had a sales team of 50, you could add 10 people by just making everybody 20% more efficient, which could be professional training, could be time management, could be incentives, could be any number of ways to do that. Um, and, you know, people were just throwing salaries and in an escalation in a bidding war for employees. Now the bidding war is over. I think we're going to see the 11 million jobs we have open of which I think three or 4 million are professional. And of those three or 4 million professional, probably a million of them are in tech. You're going to see those compress really quickly. So those are going to get filled really quick. So as everybody cuts 15%, all those open recs are going to start to get filled and they'll probably get filled at a slightly lower salary um, or a flat salary. And as I've said, we saw that buyout of Zendesk. That to me was a bouncing along the bottom moment. I think we might see a couple of other bouncing along the bottom moments, uh, which could be pay cuts coming in companies, uh, yeah. just like we saw offers being the rug pulling offer. <laughs> you know, you haven't even started and your offer got rug pulled. That's that's a Yikes. sign of a, a, a you know, a, a dark market. Um, so. Being a concise communicator is so important, especially in a down market. You literally can't afford have breakdowns in communication well luckily grammarly makes professional writing fast and simple and i love this product it's an all-in-one writing tool that helps you churn out clear and concise communications quickly so whether it's mass emails board presentations or sales contracts grammarly helps you find the right words to communicate efficiently i can tell you having written my last book without grammarly and writing this new book with grammarly i basically have eliminated the need to have a copy editor with me all the time they have a free tone detector it's going to make sure you're making the right impression grammarly premium it has awesome features like clarity focused sentence rewrites that help clear up any confusion and they can tone transform to help you convey confidence with ease grammarly is free to download 
as a desktop app and it works anywhere you do. So you can work more efficiently on all your projects. Get to the point faster and accomplish more with Grammarly. Go to grammarly.com slash twist to sign up for a free account right now. And when you're ready to upgrade to Grammarly Premium, and I know you're going to want to, you're going to get 20% off for being a twist listener. That's 20% off at G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y.com slash twist to let them know your pal J-Cal sent you. Um, well, so if, if Sequoia is consolidating power, <laughs> so yeah. is Sam Bankman Fried. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm skipping ahead to this well, breaking, something, just a breaking news while we're taping news. the show at 11 exactly. a.m. June 30th here. Yep. So breaking Thursday. news as we are taping, which is that evidently FTX and SBF, uh, FTX is acquiring BlockFi straight up buyout for $25 million. That actually is million with an M. That's 99% below BlockFi's last private valuation. The New Jersey-based company was at one point uh, last valued at $4.8 billion. And of course, Sam Bankman-Fried has been going around, you know, backstopping slash consolidating this industry almost under like single ownership. Yeah. So it was trade. It was the last private market valuation of BlockFi was... billion. I don't know how many customer accounts they have. uh, But we covered just the other day that he gave a $250 million credit line, Mm -hmm. where he offered it, um, which would wipe out all the previous investors, we discussed this, you know, if if you have no offers, the only offer you have is the best and final offer before the company goes out of business. So people take it. Uh, And I know pomps Morgan Creek digital was trying to make some kind of competing offer here. But for 25 million, he's basically buying these assets and it's probably i don't know how many customers they have but uh, how many BlockFi customers are there i mean this is stunning yeah i mean uh, this is just a massive like it's a it's a it's weirdly like gutting the unicorn and pulling out the organs <laughs> it's just taking the horn <laughs> oh, it's just dark. taking the horn <laughs> it's like shoot, the, really shoot the unicorn take the horn <laughs> I'm so sorry. It was apparently close. Uh, BlockFi was close to finalizing a down round that would have valued it at more like a billion dollars. Um, but even so, this $25 million is, is a pretty brutal outcome. This is according to a report from CNBC, by the way, we should say at this moment, that was citing uh, sources close to this. Mm. Um, but it said that they were very close to this deal. Yeah, it's, I mean, I well, guess those other investors are not only wiped out, but not really paid back. Check this out, Molly. Yep. As of March 2021, we just found some web research here, so we'll have to double check it. But uh, it seems as though BlockFi had 265,000 funded retail clients and over 200 institutional clients. So we take the 25 million and uh, we split it equally uh, between those two types of customers. Um, you know, t- uh, 12 million, 500,000 uh, divided by 200. Corporate clients is 62,000 per corporate client mm-hmm. and divided by 265,000 accounts from retail. That's $47 per account. So the CAC here is basically 50 bucks an account. That's pretty extraordinary to, you know, like think about how much advertising or, you know, crypto is hiring whoever like Matt Damon or buying the Staples Center or whatever place yeah. they bought uh, to get these accounts. They were probably spending hundreds of dollars per account. So this is a way for him to just. Boom, all of scoop a sudden, it all up. scoop all that up. Now, how many of those are real account or how many people of the, you know, if maybe half of those stick around if half stick around. Now it's a $100 customer acquisition cost. But I think this is probably what 
um, if you really do believe that crypto is real, and mm -hmm. you're Sam, mm -hmm. okay, you just made a pretty savvy trade to consolidate market share. So yes, or as Francis Santora puts it, I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. It's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's so uh, interesting, right? How he's just this character who will end up I, somebody had made the comment one of our notice had made the comment when we talked about it before um that he could end up the world's richest man by 2024 if this if crypto rebounds and he owns increasingly significant yeah. chunks of it in a lot of accounts yeah it is it's, pretty it's remarkable. An account roll up yeah if you believe that these accounts are gonna you know be super valuable and who knows what the duplicates are between this and other assets he wants to buy but yeah, it seems like I, a low at 25 million is a low risk strategy for him if he's got tons of Bitcoin laying around or tons of other crypto assets. 100%. Um, yeah. So and I still maintain that yes, it is an account roll up strategy. It is also a prop up the ecosystem strategy. I really think it is because he can't if he's the only person in the position to do this, then one, it's smart to be the vulture. But it's also like, if that's where all your money is coming from, you cannot let this unicorn herd die. Uh, if it did die, I guess what would happen? I guess they would be in all these accounts are going to be in some sort of bankruptcy process where their you know accounts are held. So yeah, that probably is part of this. Um, Apparently, according to Nick, he recently told that to Forbes. That's good. He's getting. Well, he told Forbes that. Yeah, I think what he said is a lot of these exchanges are secretly already bankrupt. So his theory is a lot of these folks are bankrupt already. Yeah, so he also said he doesn't care if they're bad investments. He needs to do it to like save the ecosystem. I'll pull the quote in a second. I'm just yeah. grabbing it right now. So yeah, I mean, but it, this seems like a solid investment, actually, if I were to look at it. So uh, savvy move on Sam's part, I guess. We'll yeah. see. I mean, it will either look like crazy, like buying up all the dead dot com brands, you know, and just having their web pages and non functional businesses and no employees. Uh, or, you know, it, it could wind up being super savvy move if crypto rebounds. I the chances of crypto rebounding now, I think, like, I think this is like a big flush of all of the, you know, what they would refer to as the coins, I, I think all of those you can bleep that out, but all of those ish coins, I think, um, are going to get wiped out, nobody's going to have faith in them. And then there'll be a couple of projects that stick around and people will keep playing with them. But um, the amount of regulation coming, and the amount of lawsuits coming because everybody lost their money. Th there's no way for people to get their money back, right? We would agree on that, Molly. Like that money's lost. If you oh, bought yeah, that money's gone. There's no back. There's no backstop there. There's no, right. you know, FDIC version of SBF here to protect your money. If you lost right. it, it's gone. It's gone. So if it's, if, and you know, if these projects then have no, like Luna's not coming back, right? Just as but one example, mm -hmm. or some NFT project where people bought NFTs for $10,000. And now there's nobody buying them or they're buying them for like $10 as a joke, which we saw like some of those kind of things going on. If all of that is truly, you know, um, washed and not coming back. That means there's going to be lawsuits, there's going to be investigations, whatever, hand wringing about that those that takes years to work out. And this is what happened in the dot com era, you know, I have the scar tissue is nobody trusted entrepreneurs and dot com for maybe five years. And then when delicious got bought by Yahoo weblogs, Inc, my company got bought by AOL, Flickr got bought by Yahoo, there was a slow, like, oh, okay, these, these are real businesses, they are doing some real stuff in the real world. You know, maybe we should buy some of these companies, maybe there's some real business here. Mm -hmm. But people really didn't buy it. Uh, they thought, yeah, oh, there's Amazon, there's Google, there's Yahoo, but 
most of this other stuff is garbage. Um, and it's not like any of those companies came back. iVillage didn't come back. Pets.com didn't come back. Like they were gone forever. That's what's happening here. I think a lot of these projects are gone forever. They're not coming back. Yeah. Um, and it'll take three, four, five years of actual delivering of product and delighting users for this to actually start again. And this is, I mean, this is going to sound like a random twist, but it mm. feels a little bit like the collapse of the Soviet Union. Like this is a moment where <laughs> oligarchs can be made mm. because, because these assets are just floating around there, right? Like, so when the Soviet Union fell apart, I know this feels random, but it just popped into my head and I think it works as a metaphor. You had all these people who were like, oh, I was able to acquire this stockpile of plutonium or I was able to like you know, sneak in yeah. here and get all this oil or yeah. I was able to do this or that or whatever when there were no rules and nobody was looking and people made off with billions. And mm. I think this is a moment where that's happening and there might be some unraveling and some investigations, but there are definitely people who are going to make off with billions. And frankly, a lot of people who should look at what SBF is doing and if they have the capital, like do a similar version of that, because this is your moment to make off with a stockpile of oil that's going to be worth a lot later if you believe this ecosystem is yeah. going to continue to grow and develop into real products that delight users, which I, I see no reason why it's not, to be honest. It's yeah, it's possible NFTs that were part of the first wave are like, you know, internet companies that were part of the first wave. They tried. It was too early, too complex. They weren't refined enough. They didn't get product market fit, whatever the case is. They got wiped out. But then the next web 2.0 companies actually did fulfill the promise and create cool products and services that people like. Yeah. So we'll see. I think also the $25 million number, I'm guessing, is on top of the $250 million credit line, which would then put the price at $275 million. I'm guessing there were no other people who were willing to buy this. And so if you've got a startup that's failing, and you've got, I don't know, whatever, three months worth of money left, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to run a real um, M&A process. So I'll have founders come to me. They're like, you know what? We tried to raise money. We tried to raise money. We tried to raise money. Over the last six months, we couldn't raise money. So now we're going to start an M&A process. So when they knew they were in trouble with nine months of runway, they did six months of meeting with VCs, couldn't raise money. And then with three months left, they started an M&A process. And guess what? An M&A process takes over a year. So you have to, like in year one, or let's say it's a two year process, you spend like six months to 12 months, getting to know doing listening tours, meeting with potential acquirers under the auspices of trading notes and socializing and maybe potential partnerships. And then maybe in the next year, they make you an offer. So if you think of it like a two year process, you're kind of cir you're circulating around the circuit, getting to know people, doing conferences, meeting the BD people trading notes, in this little dance that eventually winds up a year or two later with an acquisition offer. You can't do that. You can't compress that into three months. You can't yeah. compress it into six months. It just never works. So who comes? It has to be a crazy mercurial CEO who says, I want that asset. Who has so just a you, ton of money. Yeah. Yes. And who well, it has the decision making power, right? So right. if you go to the if you were a founder, you have three months left of runway and you go to the M&A person at some big company, let's say you wanted Microsoft to buy it. You get the M&A person on the phone, you share the asset with them. They're working on 10 other M&A deals of which two will close they're not going to stop everything and try to find, you know, their boss and their boss's boss and the unit head to get your company fast track to do a three month purchase. It's not going to happen. You're going to go out of business. You're almost be better off just shutting down at that point and putting it into cockroach mode, you know, and, and trying to 
slowly find somebody to buy the assets, but it just never works. Um, so that's just one a micro lesson on a micro lesson on M and A. Yeah, can't do it in three months. CNBC in its original reporting on this cited mm-hmm. some of those anon- anonymous sources saying there was more than one deal on the table. Oh, okay. But it does make me wonder if the other deal on the table, pro- probably from Pomp and those other equity investors, would have taken too long. They would have gone under in the interim, right? You know, maybe there was not even time to cockroach there. I don't know. But it, it sort of makes it sound like instead they took this FTX offer. Mm. And, I don't know. You know, according to uh, that same story, or the, or the Forbes story, um, Sam said that uh, FTX remains profitable, has been for the past 10 quarters. So it sounds like he's ran his own business to be profitable, mm-hmm. which means in a market like this, you don't have to make a ton of cuts and maybe had a lot of cash runway. Yep. The people who ran their businesses uh, conservatively in an up market look stupid. Oh, they should have gone faster. They should have gone harder. They should have built market share. And then when the market corrects this hard, they look smart. Mm-hmm. So hopefully I'll look smart when the inside of launch. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I was conservative. I, you know, kept cash reserves. You know, I didn't overstaff. And I think the same thing here, maybe opportunities emerge, right? So yeah. maybe there's I'm a mailing. Yeah. I'm gonna put $300 behind Shiba Inu and become an oligarch. Let's go. <laughs> I don't think it works that way. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but Coinbase has been losing money, right? And so, you yes. know, they, they have been investing and he's had to make a lot of layoffs. Now, of course, they did become worth, I think at their peak, like maybe, I don't know if they were close to 100 billion, but it was definitely above 50 billion. Um, now the stock's down 90%. I, I'm fascinated by Michael Saylor. He I can't get enough. Me. It's literally there's the future is going to be a war between these two guys. I actually want Michael Saylor to be on this week. Sorry, he so DM'd we should, you. Come on. I, I got to Yeah, I got to get him on. I, you know what? Let's I go. just he DM me and I, I've said such crazy stuff about him. I'm not sure what this is going to be. <laughs> if there's going to be another Palmer Lucky situation where he just comes on the show and reads what I said about you the crazy. You can handle behavior. it. You can handle can, it. Of course I can handle it. Um, Everybody knows, uh, my, or should know who listens to this program, there's a company called MicroStrategy. They have some core business and they were public. The CEO, Michael Saylor, who has a bit of a sordid background, I would say. There was some SEC action against him previously. Um, and uh, we'll, I'll, I'll get the exact details of that and tell you at the end of the story. Um, he took that company and then essentially turned it into an ETF, de facto ETF, not a literal one, where he started buying a bunch of Bitcoins. And he started taking loans to buy Bitcoins. And he's the person who I've played the video before on the show, Molly, where he said, listen, if you believe in Bitcoin, the only logical thing to do is sell every asset you have. If you own a business, if you own a home and acquire more Bitcoin. And to his credit, he has continued to do that. He I think his average price that. was in the you know $30,000 range for buying Bitcoin. And now it's gone down. And he just announced that MicroStrategy has purchased an additional 480 Bitcoins, 480 Bitcoins. Uh, for around 10 million at an average price of 20,817. That was his tweet. As of 628.22, MicroStrategy holds around 129,000 Bitcoins, 130, let's round it up, uh, that were acquired for about 4 billion. Um, and I think he's down a billion dollars based on that average price. Mm-hmm. We were bouncing around 1920 today. So, yep. They're not, I mean, again, he's going for full. Full oligarch status yeah. here. There was a pretty good breakdown in the in the um, Matt Levine newsletter. I love that newsletter about MicroStrategy's version of this, sort of comparing how you know Three Arrows Capital and Celsius had done all of this like borrowing and lending with only coin as collateral, effectively, mm-hmm. and then in some cases rehypothecated that collateral, like put some Bitcoin up as collateral over here, and then use mm-hmm. or take in someone else's collateral 
taken Bitcoin as collateral to lend them money and then taken that same collateral and then borrowing against it. So essentially using it in two different forms, like reaping it as collateral and then using it, Mm. putting it up as collateral. A little dangerous if that's true. Yeah. Right. And so Levine was pointing out that MicroStrategy has not really done that, that that this is uh, these are leveraged buys of Bitcoins that are leveraged by money and not other coin. Right. So that ultimately, if there were a margin call, and Michael Saylor has said this many times, um, that MicroStrategy would be okay, that his balance sheet could actually absorb They could just give this. more cash. They could just they give could, more cash. They could just give more cash. And yep. just for the background, uh, the SEC today said MicroStrategy, this is a story from 2000, uh, MicroStrategy Inc.'s top two executives and its former chief financial office agreed to pay a total of $11 million to settle civil accounting for our charges related to a restatement of the software vendor's financial results last March. So they had to restate these and they made significant uh, changes to fix it, yada, yada. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's that's more than a, that's 11 million in 2000 was more than a speeding ticket. Let's just put it that way. That, that's, yeah. that was, a you know, on the high side of fines. Today, you might think something small like that. Um, you know, might be a little bit of a slap on the wrist. So it, that seemed more significant. I don't, I, I don't suspect somebody who did that in the past would do it again. Uh, after having that experience, they would probably have better accounting now. Uh, and I'm sure there's two sides. Probably, to every yes. So, uh, yeah, but there's no question that this guy is all in on it and you should take he's investment. Got conviction. You he's should got take conviction investment advice from lots of different sources, not do just the one person who's like, sell your mortgage. There's all their one, reserves are on the blockchain now. Can't get funky about that. It's transparent. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the totally SEC can just totally transparent, totally except transparent. if they totally were taking those Bitcoin and trading them off the chain. And, you know, uh, who knows what's yes, happening, you know? Yeah. yeah. We, um, we have no idea what's, you know, going on here. There was a here. very funny tweet by Packy McCormick on this topic oh. from the Not Boring Company saying, the year yes. is 2140. There are 21 million Bitcoin. Michael Saylor owns all of them. Michael Saylor is now immortal. MicroStrategy has long since folded. His Bitcoin are worth $13.93, but they are his. He is happy. He will be happy forever. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. No, that's his, that was his constant was like refrain on CNBC is like, listen, this is finite. You can't print more money, yeah. which plays into this narrative that, you know, the Fed's printing all this money. Bitcoin has a limited supply. Therefore, exactly. Bitcoin will be you know, uh, a hedge against the dollar, but it's traded exactly in sync with the money printing machine, as Jamal's pointed out on all in and other people have yeah. pointed out much more eloquently than I will. It's it moves, it seems to move exactly with crone stocks in the stock market. In other words, it moves with people's discretionary spending is what it seemed to do. And mm-hmm. it's quite possible. You know, the we were looking at a chart the other day of the average monthly price of Bitcoin. And when you look at what happened during the pandemic and all of this extra money was printed, stimulus went out, the free money environment that kind of crescendoed in 2020, 2021, that's when all the growth is. And if you look at the time before that, it was kind of trading in that $3,500 to $10,000 range, which means if it's going to reverse, it's going to get cut in half or 75% from here. And there are people who do in the community do believe that could happen. Um, that it could go down to five to 10,000. So be careful here. If you want to build a position, you know, you might want to do that over time and might want to make sure that it is um, a portion of your portfolio that you're willing to lose. And it's in the, you know, highly experimental bucket of your, you know, investing where you could afford to lose it. 
uh, is how I would think about it. Or right. it is how I think about it. Actually, yes. I should say. 300. I think about my Bitcoin holdings. I'm holding. I'm a holdler. And I'm saying that. I've actually been thinking I might buy some extra Bitcoin at some point, you know, looking at it. Like, I think the Bitcoin FOMO is real. It's not even FOMO. I just think if it hasn't been compromised yet and it's a good store of value globally, I believe that citizens around the world are embracing it as a place to store their wealth. Uh, which means if there's a finite amount of it, it should continue to go up as people need it and require it as the global standard for people who don't have a, you know, a great banking system, you know, or have a government that prints too much money. Yeah, me too. Same. Okay. $300 okay. at a time for sure. There you go. <laughs> All right. Let's go to we live in the future. This let's is what it. everybody loves. We live in the future. We're just going to have some fun for a minute. Yeah. Uh, Major League Baseball. This is highly controversial. Major League Baseball will likely be introducing an automated strike zone system, a.k.a. robot umpires, starting in 2024. Commissioner Rob Manfred told ESPN that the automated strike zone system may call all balls and strikes and then relay the information to a plate umpire or maybe be a part of the re review system that lets managers challenge calls, the reply review system. Mm -hmm. um, in recent games, some uh, fans have had some meltdowns due mm. to missed calls in umpires apparently there was one a, an insanely low strike error during a detroit tigers minnesota twins tilt and the mlb has been experimenting with robo umps in the minor league atlantic AAA since 2019 should we watch hey, do we this have video, video of this i think we do i want to see the especially bad call oh we're going to see the especially bad call i want to <laughs> see the robot <laughs> i want to see the robot who makes my coffee and then on the weekends the, or at nights instead of making my coffee goes so for those of you who are not watching this on video the ball is roughly two feet below what would commonly be agreed upon that was a terrible call yeah it's like two feet below the strike zone it's like practically in the ground okay let's take a look at the show us the actual yeah, so let's have a picture of the robot which would basically just be like i'm how the strike the robot? zone how come we don't have video of the robot how did they if they're doing video of the robot in triple a games I don't um, think it's a robot. It's just like a series of sensors. Oh, they really. call it Robo Ump, right? Robo Ump. It's, okay, so here's what it is. It's literally it's a sensor wall. It's a wall. <laughs> it literally looks like a panel from a roof panel. Yeah, that's just sensing where the ball a, is. I mean, like it's so physical, obvious. It's the physical version of the box that they show on TV. Is really what it is. And so then it would just sense if the mm. ball is inside or outside that boundary, and then make the call appropriately. Which I'm sorry. I think is mm. not a future that I want to live in. I want to argue over calls forever. I think that corruption and, you know, <laughs> capriciousness is built into baseball. And that's right. what makes it great. So let's take both sides of these. If yes. you care about fairness, you would want and having the correct outcome, you would want a robo umpire. Yeah. So I believing that the Knicks have been robbed for many years from <laughs> winning games because of the umpires <laughs> that's my belief is that the umpires <laughs> have it in for us no i don't believe that i think we just have just been everyone believe everyone believes that are you kidding me well no the raiders mean, remember all the the years that the raiders were in oakland it's just anyway, like you're the this raiders puts to you're bed all of the this would put to bed all of the uh um rumors of corruption or umpires playing favoritism or having mm -hmm. unconscious bias they, they like a certain team they like a certain group of fans they like a certain player they are friendly with somebody. So removing the charmingness of an umpire kills the experience. But 
having the game be called properly would be much better. Like, and so let me ask this. I in tennis, too, do they use it's totally different than basketball? Because imagine if totally different on the referee you had in basketball, the three-point line was further out or closer in. That's what it is. Because every umpire yes, has a slightly right. different strike zone. It's totally different. It's crazy. Yes. Yeah, it's not. And it sh it, should the strike zone in some way be related to the size of the individual? It is. So it, it is. So mm -hmm. a larger yeah, person like has right a larger knee to right above, right below your chest is the, what's yeah. the, the official. So it is, it is a dynamic thing. It's not like if you were Christoph Porzingis and you're seven, one or two or three or whatever he is, you have a different three point line or a different free throw line than a six foot three Steph Curry or something. But you do have a different strike zone, right? So then what would they do with the, how would the robo? How would the robot I think the robot knows where that? your knee is. I think the AI yeah, I can tell where your knee is. Like knows uniforms where. Have sensors uh, on them. Yeah. Oh, and okay. That's an even better way to do it. Is the oh, uniform God. has sensors on it? Would be yeah. easy if you had something. But then you would like be you'd be like adjusting the sensor it, yeah. a little lower, a little higher. I mean, but that's kind of the fun about baseball too. Is it's such an old sport that like they yes. actually allow you to cheat. But when you get in trouble yes. for cheating in baseball, is when you use like an Apple Watch to cheat. You're allowed to like steal a sign with your eyeball, but if you use an Apple Watch to like thumb your hand then it's cheating right you so there's always tar. like a little weird the bat yeah, yeah the tar and the bats is a good I one i want all tar. of this i want all of this i want no. you to be, have like a little pine tar on your helmet and i want you to be able to like buy off the ump i want to sit behind home plate and scream nope. at the ump like otherwise Incorrect. it's just otherwise it's robots playing a game bow ring and base look baseball's no. boring enough the reason it's take away the controversy is back they need to what do you even back. have you want to no, make baseball it's, fun. It's way too back. slow. It's way too slow. There's too many games. Cut the number of games and so half. don't 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 put in robots and, and put in robots. This is my Ugh. official. And then the game's got to move faster. Uh, that's the whole thing. So how many innings? Is nine innings? Corruption and capriciousness. Let's bring it down, down to the American seven innings. Way. Bring it down to seven innings. Let's make this the a little American faster. Way. You don't need to do eighteen holes of golf either. That's ridiculous. Just round. <laughs> it should be ten. <laughs> Everybody is just wants more time away Should from their paying. spouses. That's the intent of these things. You want to get away <laughs> from your family for the longest period of time. <laughs> I know the guys in my circle who are really into golf and who are really into baseball. And they love going to those <laughs> baseball games and they love going to golf, Molly, because they got to get away from their families because they're Lovely. losing their minds. And they want an excuse for like a whole day away. You go to and baseball, that's a whole day away. And they might have rage issues and they need to get those rage issues out. And that's why you have to be able to yell at the umpire. And if you don't have <laughs> no. that, if you have that taken away from you, you're going to start to see these like rage heart attacks happening because you need an no. outlet for your anger. And that outlet is your cheating no. ass umpire. No, the, it's America. The, the statistics are perfect. Look, it uses a system that was created by golf measurement devices from a company called Trackman. The technology for the minor league identifies and tracks pitches location and a phone tells the umpire if it's a ball or a strike <laughs> after they're notified it's the horrible. umpire can make the call behind the plate so you still get your umpire but the, the umpire is not making decisions the umpire is now an actor the only so thing we that can I like. hire all types of great actors we could have people from hollywood we could have people from broadway we could have people from vaudeville you could they could all it would be about the flourishes <laughs> of the call jason jason bateman <laughs> Jason oh, Bateman like could be series. a great um. Uh, you could. Uh, what about uh, the? Uh, what about uh, the? Uh, three? Uh, what about three Zach Galifianakis? Gal could Gal be great. He looks Any like an fat umpire. actor could be look. great. Any fat comedian would be amazing. The I'm sorry, only Zach. thing I like about the Robo Umpire is that they do say it would shave like seven minutes off of nine. Nine, nine according minutes. to the MLB. All right. This is I perfect. mean, that's that's because the review system is what broke it. 
But previously, you had America's favorite corruption and capriciousness, and you would just yell at the ump, but they would move on without you. Forget it. And then they introduced this FACACTA review system to be like, you know, oh, well, let's make it fair or whatever. When just like, no, just throw the ball, yell at the umpire, move on. That's the game. That's baseball. Um, yeah, no. I, I, and, and I think this has to come to everything. We, we should have this also die for on this tennis. Hill. <laughs> tennis is already using stuff, right? Like I, they do, and so does uh, soccer, football. So enough! It's enough with the humans <laughs> ruining the game and taking too much time. The umpires gone. I want them gone. That's it. I, I want bet a robot could could pick companies to invest in. I'm just saying. Yeah, good luck. If you want to take the human out of everything? Uh, well, okay. <laughs> no, I, I I don't think it would work. Um, <laughs> it, there is a. I mean, there are people who want to do it in the public markets when you have more data um it, people it. have pitched me on ai to sort through companies and we are doing you know we, this week we hit another record in terms of the number of companies we sorted the number of companies we met with here at launch so looking at that I, I do think ai will probably be able to make some reasonable sorting efforts at some point we're basically building heuristics for humans to do but that might be you know a 10-year journey Baseball has reviews. You're just writing us out of history right now, Jason. Writing us out. No, I think humans move up to a more interesting thing to do. There are more interesting things for humans to do than say this is a ball or this is a strike. I'll be honest. If the computer can do it better and do it more consistently, let's move on to the next thing. Unless you want to do it as like a Civil War reenactment. Like right now, what they're doing is turning the umpires into Civil War reenactors. (laughs) It's kind of insulting to them. You know, it's like, it's just they're they're turning them into cosplay. Horrible. Like if the umpire is like, they're, the computer's like, tell them that was a strike, you will comply, yeah. tell them Why it's a strike. Why do I want to watch this? Why do I want to watch this game? This is a terrible game. Uh, that's going to be it's great. Terrible. Take the nine minutes out. Fantastic. <laughs> they right. need them right. less in Major League Baseball. They need them more in like suburban little leagues where you have 15-year-olds. Oh, yeah, those crazy dads. games for nine-year-olds and he's the 15-year-old's like a uh, strike. Actually, yes. He's getting screamed at by like 40 drunk yeah, no, dads. For sure. That is, true. That's where they need this. Robots for amateur sports yes. would be great. Would and be then great. let me just still yell at them in the Major or Leagues. Or I will say I, there is a compromise to be had here. Uh, how about this? How about we compromise on an actual robot who is actually trained to get one out of a hundred wrong in a pretty egregious way and then <laughs> we'll get in a fight so there's a randomization every 20 pitches we're going to do something crazy and the robot will fight with the umpire we'll fight with that's the like manager that. and the players i feel like if you pitch that, that, that to elon if you pitch that like, to elon that's what i like about enough, jake make the tesla bot do that yeah. i'm saying the tesla bot you totally this is a good yeah. those that's tesla what i like bots. about jake Cal. jake Cal. always finding a way forward yeah. I'm trying to compromise here. If the Tesla <laughs> bot has to labor and like create batteries all day, they might want to do this on their day off. They might want to have a be out at the park. This could be a great compromise. Strike Tesla robot three. gets time off. Strike three. Strike Ball three. four. You Ball son four. of a <laughs> la, la, la. <laughs> If you argue with me one more time, <laughs> I, know, I am going thing. to send you out of here. <laughs> no out of here. No one's out right. of here. <laughs> do not kick dirt on home plate. Please do not kick dirt on home plate. I need to see your bats. That looks like more than 18 inches of pine tar. Do not throw the bat. Do not throw the bat. Take your hat off. Let me see your hat. Is that sandpaper? <laughs> I detect you're scuffing the ball. <laughs> oh, God. It'd be so oh, great. Where's the singularities here? It's so great. I mean, <sighs> it's just all the places 
you don't want a robot are going to be the interesting ones, right? Like there's going to be a lot of places where you're like robot, perfect. Oh, you want a deep sea dive and fix the pier? Yeah, send a robot. robot. Definitely. But there's going to be other times when you're just going to be like, and eh, probably don't want a robot doing my umpiring at baseball or like a massage, like robots going to do a better job and be cheaper. But I don't a massage with a robot's kind of weird. <laughs> It's so it's so human to uh, to roboticize all the wrong things. That's just classic. <laughs> I, I don't know what I mean. Robotic lifeguard. I'm kind of on the fence. I kind of like the idea of a robot like coming that. out and saving me. Yes. Yeah. That's, and that sounds like perfect vision, right? To be able to to cut sure. through the crowd and see the kid on the bottom and whatever. Like, yes, please. Or you could have a hundred of them. They could be out there already. They could. You could. Everybody. They could be like a robot in the ocean, positioning itself between the swimmers dynamically. So it's always within, you know, 30 seconds as opposed mm -hmm. to playing bejeweled on a, with their sunglasses on, taking a nap, listening to a podcast. Yeah. See, now we're talking. Yeah, see, now we're talking. Stay the All hell right. away from baseball. <laughs> okay. All right. So we, uh, we've had we so much fun. Are we going to buzzkill it with talking about media Absolutely. a little bit here? We'll, we'll start with the shutdowns and the buyouts Let's and then we'll go to the layoffs. You did, that was it, your, that was your rest. That was your seventh inning stretch, if you will. And now back to the news. Back to crazy news okay substack as everybody knows has raised a ton of money to go after email newsletters they did um a lot of um uh, guarantees where they paid people hundreds of thousands of dollars perhaps millions to start uh, their uh newsletters over there stratechery was kind of their inspiration you saw stratechery uh you know was making millions of dollars a year off of a ten dollar oh, yeah. a month subscription and i think they credit that as like being like part of the concept here uh antonio garcia martinez got a bag um yeah a bunch when of people got greenwald a bag. got a bag i think did greenwald get a bag yeah i think they so. were giving bags out to everybody yeah um they were giving I, bags out to a lot of white guys which was a uh, oh well okay no that uh, there was a whole thing about that was, was there yeah I mean, yeah it was a thing um God, i just i just thought of a great inappropriate joke that i would say um anyway i don't want to get myself in trouble with there's gonna be scenes. a robot jay cal if you want if you don't watch it <laughs> hold up now here's so my new anyway <laughs> well i mean this is i mean i, I don't want to say it, but an anonymous account uh just in our youtube slack said well do you, they were backed by andreessen harowitz a bunch of white guys um so they're just passing the bags down the white guy train uh i didn't say that that wasn't my joke that was a joke that came in independently from somewhere from, else from an anonymous youtube account i that yes. was not my joke that it, yes. the, the white bag came down from ben harowitz to them to their white writers I mean, I like writers. Uh, that's that's why that tech bro culture thing again that hearing that's happening right now uh so is like hey we noticed so anyway though anyway. Substack was most recently valued at 650 million dollars in a, a series b back in september of 2021 they had raised yeah. 83 million dollars um had i think said at some point no 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 we're doing great our, our plan is to grow the team and not do layoffs Mm -hmm. um and then now there has been a report that substack laid off 13 employees which is actually about 14 percent of its staff it's pretty pretty like lean organization yes um, i mean it should be i mean it's mailchimp 2.0 on steroids like they mm -hmm. have some good social features on it they made an app but you really don't need a lot of people to run this business let's be honest um you know a, a, a modern app takes a dozen people so they probably have 12 people on the app team to build the site and the service, that's probably 20 people at the scale they're at, you know, 15, 20 tech people. They probably have a lot of business development people, uh, you know, trying to recruit folks and who knows what the other folks are doing. But that's a big valuation. 
So let's look at, and it, you know, it happened in September 2021, their Series mm-hmm. B at 650. They raised a ton of money, smart move by the founders, but their business model is 10% of the revenue of their writers. In other words, it's a really bad business. Yeah. Um, and yeah. if somebody gets to scale, I pointed this out, you would be overpaying for their service even at 10%. So let me slow down and just, because I looked at this business with inside, like, hey, maybe we should do something similar long before Substack even existed. And I said, this is a terrible business to be in. Let me explain why this is a terrible business. Um, as I saw it now, they may have a different plan. And typically founders start somewhere and then they add two or three things. So again, just the business as it exists today is a terrible business. I'll explain why. Um, they probably have a couple of million paid writers, right? So uh, Substack told Axios in late 2021, the top 10 writers on the platform collectively generate 20 million in annual revenue. Hmm. Okay, so 10% of that um, would be $2 million in revenue. Now, well, let's say, yeah, but then for they, that, that yes, Substack absolutely. Means. And that's assuming they get that 20 million because they also according to the New York Times, separately told investors that it was only 9 million. So this, so and that was last year. So here's exactly. how that math could work out. Yeah. Um, they could um, have given people advances where they don't get any of the money or something like that. Remember, they were giving these big advances for a year or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And some people who they gave the advances to, I believe, regretted it because they made more money. So in, in that case, Substack made a good trade, right? So let's start via is 10% of subscription revenue a good business. If you had 10 employees, and they each cost you 10k a month, you can roughly use in a tech company a 10 to 20k a month per employee multiplier. Obviously, developers might be 250. But you know, an accounting or an operations person might be or customer support rep might be 40, 50, 60k. So you blend all those numbers together. I always use back of the envelope, you know, 10k for a per employee per month for a company outside of Silicon Valley, but like a really intense Silicon Valley company, it might be 15 or 20. Mm-hmm. 10, if you have 100 people, which is what they had, if they were spending, you know, 15k per uh, a month, that means they were spending a million and a half a month, which means they're spending 18 million a year, 18 million a year. They, you know, were making two, they're probably losing 16 million a year, something like that, Yikes. right? And yeah. who knows what their other expenses are, as well. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the key problem. If they were to 10x revenue 10x revenue with these top 10 authors or, and who knows maybe there's some other authors and they got to 200 or 300 million they'd have 20 million in revenue 30 million in revenue. in other words they'd probably be able to break even 10x from here mm-hmm. it's never going to be a great business is the problem and i think what they wanted to do was build a bundle now when they had this concept of the bundle where they told people they could subscribe to a newsletter and i think platformer was the one that was you know kind of broke this down multiple times or they talked about it on another podcast the the writer from platformer will come to me in a second uh, uh casey newton casey newton very smart um casey was talking about like hey uh dummies i want my email addresses i don't want you to yep. obscurify that and send people to an app i want them to get in their email box please stop doing that mm-hmm. but and he was sort of speculating that this was a power play by substack to get control of their writers and then bundle them um I might be yeah. misrepresenting his position a little bit. That was the sort of sinister thing I think he was holding back on. Uh, and they give their email addresses to all of their customers. Unlike Facebook or Twitter or YouTube, you don't get the email addresses. That's why I always say you should collect the email addresses. 
on Substack, you do have the email addresses, which means you can leave. And tr Twitter now has their version connected to your Twitter account, and it's free. Or I think it's close to free. And then there's Ghost and other places that will let you build this, or you could build it with a developer for basically for free. It, it's kind of like a not a difficult software to do. Yeah. If you were to be making a million dollars a year, or let's say you got to $3 million a year, like you were really like an elite one, Stratetri probably makes more than that. But if you made 3 million a year, would you give 300,000 to Substack? You could hire two full time developers to build something doper. So if yep. you're Casey or you're Stratetri, wouldn't you rather just have an in house developer and two researchers working for you? Like you could spend another way to spend that 300 million. 300,000 of your 3 million. Yes, absolutely. So you lose your top people. I know this not and I'm not beating up on Substack. I think they built a beautiful product. And I think they're, you know, uh, reasonably innovative founders and obviously extraordinary at raising money. The reason I bring this up is I remember the early days of the internet, there were what were called web representation firms, they would take a website, uh, and they would represent their ad sales. Mm -hmm. They reward you got for Rep and they, I think they got 30% of the ad sales, the reward you got for selling ads for a website was they realized I'm giving you a half million dollars a year, I should just start my own sales team. And I should have the direct relationship with the advertisers and not have you obscurifying, it, yeah. which is what everybody wound up doing. Gawker, yeah. myself, Weblogs Inc. But this was even in 1.0. So it's just a not a great business, it turns out, um, as currently constructed. The only way it be would become a great business would be and it would be a better business would be if they actually hired writers and then built millions of subscribers and then if the writer getting paid i don't know a hundred thousand dollars a year you know uh wanted to uh quit or wanted to raise you would have 10 other writers to replace them and you get the arbitrage between a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand writer salaries and whatever a million dollars in subscribers and so then they would just be like a media business and you'd be a media yep, business. exactly. Like the New York Times. Yep. So the New York Times is trying to deal with this right now, right? And yep. Kara, they just lost Kara Swisher because she wants to own her work, is what she said. Mm -hmm. So now Substack is open to can of worms. Mm -hmm. Casey can never go back to work for a big media brand. A media brand can never afford him. Yep. So now all of the best of branded journalists are now independent, freewheeling, um, entrepreneurs who will never go back to work for somebody else. That's yeah. what Substack did. And to Substack's uh, detriment, in fact, because why would you stay on the platform? They're, they're going to be so entrepreneurial. Casey's going to realize at some point, well, I should just do what Shretetri is doing and hire somebody. Yep. And I think Substack, I, I wonder the extent to which Substack and other creator tools rely on the idea that there's more talent than there is. And I don't mean to say that everybody's untalented, but I think what you find is that generally, you know, there's a top 10% of YouTube creators who make all the money. There's a top 10% of writers on Substack. Yeah. Or sorry, 1%. Exactly. I would like say 1%. Talent is not, in fact, evenly distributed, even if you do a good job of elevating and paying for it. And so you always yeah. find yourself in this position where you're like, oh, I'm going to try to pay more to acquire the good talent. And then there will be this long tail of other talent that makes money. And maybe the long tail part isn't doesn't work out the way that you think it does if you're just talking about this kind of like independent media creation thing. Here's another way to say what you're saying, which is the ability to be a brand mm -hmm. and to draw these kind of subs is limited rarefied air, rarefied yep. air. Yeah, even this podcast, you know, it took me 10 years to, you know, pull this pushes boulder up the rock. 
you also have to have the ability maybe to do it for three or four years at a discount. Mm-hmm. Stratechery, I'm sure, you know, took years to get where they are. Um, and there's a certain number of subscriptions each person can maintain before burnout ensues. So there is, like we saw in streaming, and we see in newspapers, a, there's an upper bound. Mm-hmm. Maybe in streaming, I think it's five services, six services is where you start to think, I, I have too many. And I think in subscriptions to news sources, for most people, it might be when you get, maybe it's actually something similar, four, five, six, seven, eight of these. Probably. You know, professional, yeah. I'm talking about a professional doing it for business, not like a person buying it for news. So um, I think that's the big problem um, is, but smart on them to pull back. I, I think they probably should have pulled back even more. Um, if they're losing 10 mm-hmm. million, 15, if they're losing 10 to 20 million a year, which yeah. the math might be suggesting here 100 people times 15 if they're losing 10 to 20 million if they're losing 20 million a year and they have raised 83 uh yeah they have four years of runway they cut 15 percent adds a little bit to their runway mm-hmm. maybe six months of their runway or something i think they mm-hmm. might have wanted to cut more and I then can't. i guess the path to profitability is the big question somebody if you have an idea for what the path to profitability on this business is please tell me um <laughs> Because I don't understand it. And uh, it, it just doesn't. Maybe they start an ad network and they just let people put ads across their network. That would work, I think. That would yeah. probably work if they started selling ads across it and they just said, hey, you can put this ad in your newsletter and we'll take half the money. You take half the money, like a YouTube relationship. It's going to be real tough to pull out in the, pull that off in this downturn, but maybe eventually it will be. I'm hearing rumors from the media world that it's going to be a bloodbath. The advertising pullback is just so intense. Is it really? Yeah. Ads are getting pulled. Bloodbath. Bloodbath. Not good. All right. Well, well, I don't want to bum us out. We had so much fun talking about baseball. So maybe that's a nice Uh, place to leave it before we go all the way down the bummer hole. (laughs) No, I think you'll see the media layoffs will be, uh, are going to be, they'll be deep. And I think what you're, that's the place actually, I'll say you'll see the, you know, remember I've been talking about like the rescinding of offers is like, you know, the the one right before pay cuts and austerity, what I'll call austerity measures, mm-hmm. which could be, you know, we're getting rid of this travel, we're getting rid of travel, we're getting rid of, yeah. you know, whatever skits people had, or, like, you know, conferences, <laughs> you know, conference budget, whatever, all that's going to start to get cut. Yeah, divisions, whole divisions are going to go. Yes, yeah. and whatever divisions are making money will be the ones that stay. So that 100%. is actually another way to do it. Tune in tomorrow. We're going to have more news. If you want to suggest news stories uh, or have Ask Jason, Ask Molly questions, we live in the future. If you give us a great We Live in the Future, I will send you an Ember mug or, you know, something fun. Okay. Uh, I'll send you something uh, for free. Maybe I'll send you some liquid IV or an Ember mug. We're always looking for a startup of the day. Really interesting novel concepts. Send it to producers at thisweekinstartups.com. We're always looking for We Live in the Future producers at this week in startups.com if you send those we're going to send you a hundred buck a hundred dollar gift card or a prize okay that's simple if, if we use it if we use it you, you don't don't send a hundred and i'm going to send you 10 grand it's not be ridiculous um <laughs> but if you have those topics at mollywood at jason and we have this community going this week in startups.com slash tc mm-hmm. that is Pop our in. twitter community and we have this week in startups.com slash discord we do okay, not we have this group on facebook but Please feel free to enjoy our groups on uh, Twitter and Discord and subscribe to watch our live show on YouTube at thisweekinstartups.com slash YouTube. And then, of course, if you're a founder, 
Jason's got an idea for you. Yes. If, you, if you're a founder, go to uh, usedbubbles.com slash twist and make me your pitch. And if you make a great pitch, I might use it on the air uh, and I'll watch it and I might retweet it. So go ahead and uh, make your pitch using usebubbles.com slash twist. That's one of our partners. Uh, they make a really cool product and I will watch those and we might use it in, uh, we might use your pitch in our ad. So you get a little extra promo here. And it's free. 